Hello and welcome to the Football Roundup, Energy Sports' longest-running football show. It's the first show of the New Year, listener, so we're wishing you health and happiness throughout 2021, and we're all hoping that the next 12 months are much better than the last 12 we've had to suffer through. It's not off to the best start after Nicola Sturgeon's announcement that Scotland's going back into lockdown until the end of January, but hopefully we'll be able to power through regardless. So the Football Roundup is the show, of course, that brings you the finest student takes on the biggest footballing action from Scotland, England and the wider world of the beautiful game from the weekend in sport we've just had. My name is Jack Donnelly and today I'm joined by three of Napier's finest and Struan Garvey, Graham Sinclair and Jamie McIntosh. Good to have you here, lads. A happy new year to you all. Any Anyone get any resolutions you want to throw at the board? I'm going to stop supporting so many different football clubs. You're going to stop? Yeah. 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 Which one are you going to pick? It's a bit plastic, isn't it, Will? Can we have like a so big? It... Can we have like a big like, NBA bracket and just have like, everyone back we, one team? We'll no, I, was gonna, I was just going to set up a game of FIFA and sim the matches, see who comes out on top. <laughs> I, wonder who I wonder who will win between Bayern Munich and Hibs. You don't realise how many players I've transferred across them. Oh, of course. Can we live stream that? Let's live stream that for Energy Sport. We might not be able to do much else. Jamie, you get any, any resolutions this year? I can't really think off the top of my head, to be honest. I mean, um, I started kind of swimming every day when the the, um, the gyms reopened, and now obviously they're shut, so I kind of feel I need to maybe try and find something else, or else I'm going to put all the weight on that I did in the last lockdown. You've got a pool in your, in your back garden. Well, yeah. <laughs> get a badland pull up. <laughs> A bit, too, a, bit too, a bit too cold for that, I think, to be honest. Just a thousand links for that. Just reasonable, you're in it. Graham, you get anything you want to accomplish this year? Just be a nicer person, eh? Be a nicer person? Yeah, of course. It's interesting. Some, uh, of the, some of the things that I say in private aren't very nice. So. I, I wouldn't have said you're overly cynical, though. I wouldn't have said you're well, maybe, overly maybe, nasty. Maybe, maybe I'm just nice to you on the face of it. Don't know what, don't know what I say behind your back. This is very true. <laughs> this is, oh. Now you've got the anxiety in my brain saying there's a group chat without me in it, innit? I'll <laughs> get that in my brain now. And... That was discussed about me in the chat recently, I believe. What, what was that? <laughs> what was that? Something about another group chat. I think yeah. that we said we had another group. I said that we had another group chat or something about Stu and we spoke about him or something. Right, okay. And obviously we don't. We do not. <laughs> right, I mean, I suppose, I suppose I'll give my resolution in amongst, uh, amongst yours as well. One of mine is to write a bit more. And I've, I've already started uh, making my way towards that. Uh, this was basically the reason I wanted to discuss oh, resolutions a because I wanted, I wanted to plug the new Jesus. article I put out. A uh, new article from myself going up this morning about Chelsea's revolving door of management potentially getting ready to spin its vicious wheel again as Lampard is facing intense pressure from the Chelsea board to come up with reasons why he is now the man to carry on managing Chelsea. But we're going to get into that situation a bit later on in the show. But feel free to go out and go and read my article, which kind of gives a broader take of the of the situation as always we start our episodes with the big question and this one was actually thought up by our own Jamie McIntosh who after seeing some of the comical displays of goalkeeping in Scotland over the weekend particularly from Motherwell uh, he was keen to ask about the funniest goals that we've seen our teams concede over the years Jamie since the question was your idea let's hear yours first uh, okay uh, take your minds back to October 2018. Uh, hearts were unbeaten, uh, top of the league, uh, facing a trip to Ibrox. 
uh, I think I think it was the first time they'd played Rangers that season. So they must have been about 10 or 11 games into the season. Uh, previously beat Celtic 1-0 at Tynecastle, as I say, unbeaten. And uh, Craig Levine was, was the manager, uh, usually a very, very experienced manager. Doesn't kind of do too many fancy tricks, usually very solid defensively. Uh, not this time, though. Um, Rangers had a free kick. Uh, it was in the first half. It must have been probably about midway through the first half. And instead of just defending the, the set-piece, Hearts had guys like Christoph Berra, Piazzu, John Suter, Haring, uh, very big players, able to hit this set-piece away. They decided to try an offside trap thing. I don't really know what it was supposed to be. And uh, it failed miserably. Um, when the free kick was taken, everybody ran forward. The, the defensive line was on the 18-yard box and they all sprinted forward, apart from uh, Uchi Ikpiazu, who um, was towing trucks at the back post. Played everybody onside and Alfredo Morelos uh, squared it for Ryan Kent. I think it was Ryan Kent and uh, he scored. Uh, it was it was comical. You have to see it. I'm sure you've probably already seen it. I sent you guys it this morning. You did. And words don't really do it justice um, because there was a few seconds where everybody just stopped Morelos has got the ball. Bobby's the mouth standing with one hand up in the air, holding, uh, claiming for for an offside mm-hmm. that uh, that isn't coming, and uh, Rangers took the lead. Hearts went on to lose the game three one, and uh, that was the opening goal of the game. So, when you're done beating, go to Ibrox. You don't need uh, you need all the help you can get, and you don't certainly don't want to go uh, conceding goals like that. I just like to think that the Hearts team were just preparing for the inevitable and just all started jogging towards the centre circle to reshape. For, for kicking back off again, I don't know. It, it, it was very funny to be. Fair it's un- it's unbelievable. I'm just I'm just watching it again <laughs> now, and just, I'm just pausing it and looking at the stills. And there's like eight Rangers players on Zlamal because they've all ran up apart from Ikpiazu, who's played everybody on side, obviously, and it had to be Ikpiazu, obviously, who uh, got his first goal for his new club at the weekend. Scored his goal, first goal for right? for Wickham. It was actually yeah. So uh, there's a nice wee. Uh, Nice to be linked to. Yes, yes, that's the word link. To the weekend's yes. action, absolutely. Uh, in, <laughs> how about yourself? There's plenty of clubs to pick from, but could you narrow it down to one goal? Well, I thought, you know, with with centre-back partnerships of the likes of Chris Smalling and Phil Jones, there's, there's been plenty of plenty of calamitous defending, one of which, of course, would be the Newcastle result, in which the ball was basically going to float harmlessly into the goalkeeper before Phil Jones headed it past him. But I've gone for one that actually happened post-lockdown, and it's not so much... The goal itself, it was the aftermath. It was it was the Man United-West Ham game where West Ham had a free kick in a pretty average position. There wasn't really that much going on to it. And the ball basically was kicked straight at Paul Pogba and he put his hands up to block it in like probably the worst, most obvious way to handle the ball. And after it had happened, the ref didn't notice and they went to VAR. And Pogba was pretending he had a nosebleed and he kept on touching his nose and pretending to check, you know, making the, making the impression that it hit him in the nose, even though... VAR had quite clearly pointed out that it, he'd, he'd put up his hands to block it. And even when the decision was made, he kept on kept on checking his nose to make sure it happened. And then just as the as the second half began, there was the moment where the camera zooms in on Mikel Antonio and he's almost pretending to put his hands up to, to pretend to block something in his face. And then the camera just focuses in on Pogba, who's standing behind, <laughs> just staring at him with the most... It's very the office, isn't it? <laughs> ...angry look ever going. And I just think it's just, it's just one of the most comical goals ever. And it came at a time where... United were pretty much on top of that game and they really needed the results to get top four and then just the most ridiculous handball ever was given away. <laughs> I good. completely forgot about that, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, same. This is, this is what it was all about. It was, yeah. it was getting these goals that you'd forgotten about. It's like the, the goal itself was just a standard penalty, but it's the fact that 
it, it was basically handed quite literally to West Ham and they didn't need to and Pogba was mm. still pretending after the decision that he'd been hit in the face. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit ridiculous. 100%. Uh, Graham, how about yourself? Uh, May 2015, <clears throat> second leg of Rangers' playoff tie against Motherwell. 3-1 down already when uh, I think it was Marvin Johnson hits a shot from the outside of the box. It deflects off the centre-back. It should be a routine catch from Cammy Bell, but he attempts to punch it. He falls over, it hits him, and he goes in the back of the net. <laughs> For it, not, not one that's a goal that has been dug up or forgotten. It's pretty well known. But no, yeah, nonetheless, nonetheless embarrassing and just the clear one that comes to your head when it's fairly about. notorious, but no. Bad I mean, the game was the, the game was more remembered for what happened after it with uh, Lee Irwin and and Bilal Mojny going twelve round. Well, it wasn't twelve rounds; it was a first round knockout. <laughs> 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 right enough, that was that game. Uh, was well, that that game actually? Right. Yeah. Did you uh, go? Th- there's a few. There's a few I've, I've kind of selected here. Uh, the Air United one, I mean, most of the goals that Air United concede are fairly comical in their own right because it's Air conceding a goal and that's never not going to be funny. Uh, but the one, it was from this season, or well, this pre-season. Uh, Air were playing at home in a pre-season friendly to Stirling Albion. And I think they were already 1-0 down at this point. And uh, Mark Kidd made the number of, number of changes and a number of the youngsters had come on. I think uh, Ross Love came on at full-back. And he... Kind of has someone coming towards him, like uh, fairly like regular pace, with no, no under no real pressure. It goes right. I'll get this back to the keeper. Just boots it, like he clears it backwards towards the keeper who's coming out to receive it short. The keeper just turns and sees it fly past him in the bottom <laughs> left hand corner from left back. <laughs> I just remember see hearing we conceded and it was an own goal. I was like, right, okay, that's not great. <laughs> I remember clicking on the clip of it and just thinking that's spectacular. I, I can't I can't even be annoyed at that because that was a brilliant finish. <laughs> I remember Sean sent it to me and he was like, this is your football club. <laughs> the only response I could have was, tell me it's not a good finish, you're lying. <laughs> there was that one. There was, for Chelsea, there was uh, one in 2011, I think it was, against Manchester United, Strew, and you might remember this. And uh, I think it's, I don't know who puts the ball in, but it's from the right. Javi Hernandez is arriving at the back pole. <laughs> he, off his face. He, he gets down into a really odd position to actually get like get a foot on the ball. Boots it. It comes crashing off his own face as he's falling to the ground and ends up going in to, into an uh, <laughs> That was his debut goal as well. <laughs> was that his debut goal? <laughs> I mean, I'd say a memorable one for him, but it might, he might have had the memory knocked out of him when he boots the ball off his own face. <laughs> But just thinking did of he that, mean th- it? <laughs> eh, well, he'll probably say he did. But Jamie, the, the what that goal got me thinking about the one that you and I covered from uh, from the Scotland women's national team for our Assess News Day. Mm, yeah, We're, uh, Easter Road, uh, November this year. We're playing Finland in a must-win uh, qualification match for the Euros. I want to say it is you see the Euros of the World Cup. Finland Euros, I think. Uh break. Uh, they play the ball over the top and it's almost a Fernando Toro Torres-esque run from the finish mm. forward takes it right forward uh, Lee Alexander comes out to meet it steps back to kind of cover the angle slips falls <laughs> rushes back out makes the save with her legs and it bounces clean back off the finish striker's face into the empty <laughs> net 
I remember on the day Jamie and I were watching that go back, and the girl like put her, put her hands to her face and was crying, but we couldn't figure out if it was because she'd been hurt by the ball or just relief that she'd scored. Was there not quite a similar one to that with Tottenham? I think it's Bale. Like the the corner comes in and the defenders on the front post and he gets the clearance and he just boots it right off Bale's face it's it literally a metre away from him and it just goes past him and then Bale just falls to the floor holding his face as well was, it, was that Bale? I think I know the one you mean mm. I think I think any football getting hit in the face is yeah. quite funny when you had Batshuayi at the World Cup putting the ball off the post in celebration <laughs> and clotheslining himself in the process the lesson of it kept out each of our against the Ajax the better uh, right, we're going to get on and actually talk about some football that's happened this weekend. As always, we'll kick our show off with the action from our team in Scotland, uh, with the second old form of the season playing out on Saturday at lunchtime. Rangers took the three points home in a 1 0 victory with a Callum McGregor own goal separating the two sides. Graham, it was a fairly lacklustre performance from Rangers in the first half, I think we could agree. I mean, they weren't dealing with Celtic's high press all too well and were looking very much under pressure, but at the end of the day, they come away with a victory in all three points after that own goal. What does that tell you about this Rangers team? I think it's a scenario is kind of flipped from a couple of the recent old firms that Celtic have won, where Rangers have been the better team, but Celtic have just dug in and found a way to win, particularly the League Cup final. Hmm. Rangers had never to this point shown that they can win an old firm ugly, and on Saturday they did. They weren't anywhere near their best. They were actually close to the worst I've seen them all season. Hmm. And yet, despite that, they managed to come away with the three points. I think it's a. I think it's actually in a way it's a better way to win than performing with a nine out of ten. It just shows you can do it in different ways. It's pretty funny to win with a shot on target. Very funny. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about that until you mentioned it. There. That is really funny. Uh, I mean, Struan, Celtic looked to be on top in this fixture and had a number of chances to take the lead in the first half. I mean, kind of moment all that first half was Al McGregor's blinding save uh, to deny Lee Griffiths from range. But near beat on the red card changed all of that and the pendulum then swung uh, Rangers' way and were able to fairly comfortably see out the rest of the match. They were able to deal with the reduced pressure from Celtic at that point. I mean, realistically, should, are Celtic going to be kicking themselves for not taking their chances in the first half? Yeah, 100%. That, that, that is an old firm that Celtic should have won. I, th- I think 100%. I mean, as we said, the Rangers didn't have a shot on target and they've come away with a 1-0 win. A, a very shit household firm, but... Celtic will be kicking themselves completely and in a, in a sense they did hand it away by beat on handling Morelos down to the ground and then since then it was just do you think was he just needed, gone. Do you I thought think the management from Neil and following that was absolutely terrible. Do you think he needed to make that challenge at all in the first place? I, I mean, I don't, I mean, Morelos doesn't really score against Celtic. So yeah, he definitely would have missed. <laughs> probably could have, I don't really know what would have happened as such, but at the same time it's, it's a difficult one because there is another defender closing it down from the top angle, but Higher, but I don't know. He, he shouldn't have made the challenge. It was a complete throwaway from Beaton and and the. Do you think it's just instinct? So like he maybe I thinks th- he's going to get a booking. Like he's not looked where Ayer is with that. Obviously he's yeah. kind of just. So he's just like, oh, I'll just bring him down, take a booking because he's maybe. you know on the wrong yes, side yeah. of it here. Because he's a midfielder as well. Yeah. Like he is used to performing those kind of challenges. You know when somebody's running through, you often see like a whole yeah somebody's behind them or something. Yeah. Like I'd that. almost think it's like, oh the left back of the centre backs can be able to. Anyway, so if, if that's Christoph Iyer in that position, I think he's got the pace to make up to Morelos and probably be able to close him down. But I think because it was near Beaton in that situation, not as not as athletic, I don't think Morelos probably would have gotten away. So he's probably thinking to himself, "I've got to take him down." And then obviously he's not a natural defender; he doesn't have that instinct to think, "Is he the last man? Is somebody else going to cover it?" You know, and 
let's be honest, actually, I'm saying Morales wouldn't score, but with Barkas in goal, <laughs> you don't exactly know what would happen what, in that scenario. What a match-up, the man that can't score versus the man that can't save anything full stop. <laughs> you know Morales what it would have been? It would have been Morales shot Barkas on goal. Face. Therefore, yeah. technically not. Well, I saw Barkas on goal, so it goes if it's the agenda for both sides. But yeah, I think Neil Lennon's management was, was terrible, to be honest, as well, and to the point that when Celtic did go a man down, that was basically it. I thought the substitutions were all over the shop, to be honest. I mean, bringing Scott Brown on when you're 1-0 down, like, yeah, uh, Sorrow was booked, and you maybe want the captain back on the pitch, but at the same time, not exactly going to be a, a massive game-changer as such, is he? And I think the real chance after they went 10 men was one where El Yunusi hit it just over the bar. Oh yeah, uh-huh, I remember that. And Duffy nearly got himself sent off as well <laughs> after coming off. <laughs> he was going for the sender off approach, seeing Duffy in that old firm, wasn't he? A hundred percent was. Like it was a bit weird though how how um, heated it got after it between both sides after the ref book, but that's an old firm. Well, I mean, you, you the uh, Bobby Madden holding Morelos back, so he so he was to protect him for Scott Brown, who I think running charged into him, then started holding his own mouth. Mm-hmm. It's a pussy. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after after playing the big man in the Scottish Cup final and stuff like that, and his one on one, it's just you want your captain yeah, to be uh, scoring a goal. That's not the that's not what you want to be remembered for in a match like that, especially when you've yeah. not started. What I think that was the first old firm uh, Brad hasn't started, and was like thirty five or something like that. Uh, it must be. A, it must be a while. It was crazy numbers, and then obviously this one's going to be remembered for pretending to be slapped by by Morelos. <laughs> ten years as young as I think. Ten years. Ten years as junior, something like that. Actually, it might be eleven. I think. Really. I think yeah, and it's. How old's like, Brown? Morelos is thirty five now. Be thirty six this year, and I think Morelos is twenty fourth. Hmm. Alright, well, whatever number it is, so, yeah, the only it's... number that matters is. Jamie, I want to come to you here because as a Hearts man, we already know your opinion on Colin Leagues early, but with a 19-point lead, it seems like an increasingly impossible task for Celtic to be able to close the gap. And I think they've kind of taken that on board because they're on their holidays. <laughs> they're away, flew it to Dubai after the, uh, after the match. I mean, Struan, you, met, you mentioned... Lennon's management, but he managed to sort a big holiday for the boys. Like that, that's that's all you can really ask for for your manager. Needs a contract extension for that. Essential business travel, my friend. Essential business travel. Do they get back in the country at this point with a national lockdown? You tell me. Uh, but back to the point. I mean, <laughs> what what do you reckon? Is this now Rangers' title to lose? No, of course. I think it's been Rangers' title to lose for for quite a while now. But um, whether you want to count. Count Celtic out of it is um, is another question altogether. They've got three games in hand, obviously. They're 19 points behind, and it's all very well saying like Rangers can drop points, and you know Rangers will drop points eventually. They've they're still not lost, obviously, but uh, I think somebody will beat them eventually. And so you're right, Rangers will drop points, but you sort of think like Celtic need to win every game, and I just don't see that happening. So, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's number fifty-five. See, so going back to the game, I just want to kind of ask this: cause is how good Celtic played being overplayed a little bit? Because I think it is, and I don't know if you guys feel the same. I can see, I can see why you're thinking that. Celtic for all the chances they had, the last shot on target was in the twenty-first minute. Yeah, it was that same. Uh, 
for all the chances they had, Celtic never had that, oh my God, how's he not scored chance. I mean, Griffiths, he strikes amazing and McGregor saves amazing. But that's not an area you think he has to score. It's just a great hit and a better save. Mm. Uh, Celtic seemed like they set up to win the game in the first 30 minutes. And you can tell that after those 30 minutes ended that their levels dropped, their pressing died off. And unfortunately, Rangers didn't capitalise. Rangers were dreadful in this game. Rangers couldn't like pick it up and uh, take control of the game just because of their own play. Celtic dropped off. And then in the second half, where does the goal come from? It's because Tavernier... Oh, no, the goal is the second half come from. It's because Tavernier plays a ball down the channel because for the first time, he's not enough for the first time. He stopped being pressed. Morelos gets around the centre-back for the first time and he gets sent off. Mm. I just I feel like the close enough Celtic had to win this game. This is as dominant as Celtic can get. This is like the League Cup. I don't think it's close to like the League Cup final in terms of levels of dominance from Celtic. I don't think they were that good. I don't actually think they were that good. I think they were that good for 30 minutes and then the rest of the game... They were more like the usual Celtic. I think I one of the issues is every time Celtic kept on getting the ball out wide, and the Frimpong and Laxalt's delivery was absolutely atrocious. That, that was the thing. I mean, they they, they were all right. Our Frimpong technically he was all he was good cutting in, and he was good kind of making yards in the box that way. But then the final ball was just woeful throughout from either side. So I, yeah. com- so I completely agree with this Drew. There, that's. I, I, I can definitely see why you're saying that as well. I mean. Like, the, XG, the XG at the end of the game was pointing to Rangers and pointing to Celtic. And Celtic's best chance by XG, by XG standards was a beat on header at the end of the first half from a corner. Oh, I that one. That was like, that's what went down as their best chance of the game. It's just a pretty average old firm. It was pretty bad. Yeah. I think, that's something I think they missed the fans. The, oh, I, know, I know it's only a very easy thing to say, but the intensity that the fans can bring for an like, Take into account of it too. Rangers haven't had a week off since uh, like this start of November. They've played, they had an international break, so players play midweek and that, then they come back, and the Rangers played Thursday, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday. This this week is their first week off, so that I think has to have made a difference. Players had to have been fatigued. No, 100%. Uh, just before we move on, I mean, do we, do we have any like serious comments about the, the Dubai trip at the moment, or are we just laughing at it? It's just ludicrous, isn't it? It's just, it's, it's, just it's, ludicrous. It's, it's insane, Orion. I don't know. It seems as though the SF, SPFL are happy to accommodate it and allow them to go because they changed their fixture against Hibsy's wishes. They don't need to go. It's not essential. They, it's not essential. They don't need to go and train in Dubai. They can train at home. It doesn't seem like they're even actually going for essential. It just seems they're going for a piss-up right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very much an own goal from Celtic, to be honest. It's some balance on around, but it doesn't seem as though the media, like, none of the mainstream media have picked up yet. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. I think that I feel like there should be punishment for it, but I don't think that's going to be because. Can you, can you imagine how awkward that Celtic. the flight would have been? I know, I know, people obviously have to be separated and stuff like that, but just how how gutted all those players would be, especially the likes of you know McGregor and Brown who've been at the club for years and stuff like that. Just how awkward a flight like that because. Obviously, I've never been a professional footballer, but whenever I watch my teams lose, personally, I'm always just a bit like, oh, I just, just want to get the day over and stuff like that, and then just flying away to the back. It must just be such a strange experience. Yeah, no, I, I, it doesn't seem right. Um, was it not? Who was it that got uh, one, of the, one of the main reasons they ended up with a, with a punishment was because uh, they were sharing travel to a game? Was it St. Mirren? St. Mirren. So, so yeah. we're all under the impression that Celt- every Celtic player... Um, Neil Lennon all took their own plane out to 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I can just imagine that flight, right? And everyone's sitting down. Everyone's like, they're, they're not exactly happy with the situation. No, like they shouldn't have potentially shouldn't have lost the game. But then you've got uh, Lennon's brother. What, what's his brother called again? The other boy, that is assistant. What is his assistant? Um, assistant's John Kennedy. John Kennedy. Aye, that's Aye, it. It's not his brother. I swear somebody told me. <laughs> unless it's his bro- it brother with a hate. Brother. <laughs> They're all brothers though, John Kennedy they? and Neil Lennon at the front. John Kennedy's sitting on his iPad trying to order everyday grey goose for the flight just so there's a wee bit of wee bit of happiness going around. Lennon's definitely last on that flight and turns up and like armbands and rubber dingy. You know, like a rubber ring around his belly. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> John Kennedy comes running up the stairs with a spare set of goggles for him. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll move on and away from the old firm as Hibernian hosted Livingston at Easter Road and were fairly swept aside as the Lions ran out as 3-0 winners. Stuart, before Christmas, Hibs had lost three times in the league all season but have now doubled their total losses by failing to win any of the last three. Is there trouble brewing at Easter Road or is this just a bad patch that we're also going to have to guide this team through? Yeah, there was a similar situation last season, you know, a really good start when Ross came in and then towards the end of the season they just heavily tailed off and it's, it's sort of the similar signs now. I mean, the, the squad definitely isn't strong enough, quite a few key absentees from that, but yeah, it's not, it's not been a good start to the to the new year, one one game, one defeat, but I think I think praise to Livingston, to be honest, they've been very good. I think Graham pointed out that after the old firm, they probably are the on-form team in Scotland at the moment and yeah, they just, they just deserve the win, to be honest. The Hibs definitely need to dip into the transfer market if they if they want to get their season back underway. And uh, just looking at Livingston, Graham, there's been a real bounce uh at Livingston since David Martin being replaced. Gary Holt dug out. The Lions have won all seven of their fixtures since the replacement came about. And they've climbed right up the table and sit in fifth one point ahead of them the United with two games in hand. I mean, is there, there's a fair gap to gap to bridge, but is there an outside shout of uh Livingston potentially pushing up into fourth and third? If they keep this form up, of course. I wouldn't say so yet. I wouldn't. I would say the gap is probably too big for them to close on Hibs and Aberdeen, and ultimately those two teams have a deeper squads. But it is remarkable how much Longstaff has improved since David Martindale came in. Won every single game since the end of November now, and it's just like it's, the squad of players hasn't changed, but the style of, style of play hasn't really changed, but the mentality is different, and it's just they were absolutely incredible. And Saturday was kind of like the, the peak of that. You think everyone's just a bit terrified David Martindale and just want to play well for them? <laughs> Possibly. I would be terrified of <laughs> David Martindale. I, I, I know I am already, and I've not even met the man. Uh, another Premiership action, Hamilton got a massive result with a 3-0 victory at home to Motherwell with Aki's leapfrogging the steel men in the table, with the latter only remaining above the very bottom on goal difference alone. So I'll make the point now, they're not joint bottom. They're 11th. On goal difference, uh, Jamie Ross Callahan seems to be doing absolute wonders in this Hamilton side. Could it be fair to say that should they stay up, he'll take most of the credit? No. Fair enough. He uh, he missed a penalty at uh, Tanner Diced. Did it? Oh, so sorry, he's, did. Uh, he, he cost him a point, and it was an awful, awful penalty. Uh, so he cost him a point there. Um. Hey, he's, he's he's doing okay. I'm I'm pleased for him. He's a he's a, a hearts uh, hearts guy, so uh, always happy to see him do well. Didn't quite cut it at hearts, but um, seems to have have found a, a decent spot in uh, in Brian Rice's midfield. And um, yeah, he's 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 doing all right. But I, I wouldn't kind of say it's um, 
if Hamilton were to stay up, it's it's down to him. He's he's kind of their, he's still their penalty taker, and fair play to him for that. He showed a bit of character for kind of stepping up and, and taking penalties or continuing to take penalties after that that big miss at Tannadice. Um So yeah, I think it's I think we we know Hamilton by now that it it is such a kind of team effort. There's nobody that's really streets ahead of anybody else or that you know it's it is a real kind of um i don't know just a kind of team team bond i think that seems to kind of get hamilton in over the over the line every season it's like they just seem to kind of just work together and that i think more than more than any other team in the league really so uh i wouldn't kind of put it down to an individual i mean i'm I only i only kind of chuck the name in the, que- in the question because it just seemed to be for me anyway kind of viewing from the outside any time Hamilton were doing anything remotely positive in terms of even results, Ross Callahan tended to be at the centre of it. I mean, I think he, I think he is sitting at, as their top scorer. I was, I'm just looking of, at this now. Yeah, I would imagine so. Ahead of big Hakeem Adolphin uh, in defence. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, two six goals, <laughs> six goals for Callahan this season. I would imagine that at least fifty percent are penalties, but the goals are goal. Yeah, goal to goal no matter. I think there's one player that Aki should, even though it's only one game, there's one player Aki should be thanking for possibly staying up. It's Adam Chapman. (laughs) 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 That was, I think that might be the worst goalkeeping display I've ever seen in my life. It was awful. It's up there. The first goal is a pro club's keeper. There's like one after that's not a goal, but he comes to try and punch it away, completely misses it. Yeah, drops it. The second and third goals aren't as bad, but it doesn't cover himself in much glory either. No, it does not. It's so it's, it's, it's fantastic stuff. It's, it's bad. The yeah. Page was edited after that game. Was it? It was. It's, it's back to normal now. What did it say? Can you Something tell us like, what it said, or is it a bit? Do you know, I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was worth, but it wasn't too like offensive or anything. It was just a, G- give, like, give us an abridged version. Give us something along the like lines. Or is, or is it like attempts to make it? I'll I'll try and find it for later on, but yes. I think I think it always happens with Wikipedia pages though, isn't it? After a footballer puts on a not so great display. I mean, it's a fairly honking bit of patta for the most part, but some of the times it actually can be quite funny. Editing a Wikipedia page. I'm also I'm looking I'm looking at the goals back. I didn't realize Motherwell have Glenn's vodka on their kit. Oh, did they? I didn't know that. Oh, I knew was... they were new partners of the league. I, I didn't tell me. It just it hand the camera to behind Chapman he was shouting his defenders for the first goal and it's just Glenn's vodka Chapman 34 on the back of his cut on the back of his kit so it may just be the goalkeepers but there we go those those are the shots that those are the only shots that uh, Callahan could be not not Callahan I've just said his name oh um, Chapman Chapman only shots that uh, Chapman can be taken with some confidence are the, <laughs> are the ones that uh, come from the Fantastic vodka. There we go. Uh, I mean, as for Motherwell, just it's been a torrid time at Far Park recently. I mean, since the last show, Stephen Robinson resigned as manager, and after the loss on Saturday, Declan Gallagher's come out and said that there's still a number of little boys in the Motherwell dressing room, and he's highlighted that whether it is Keith Lasley that takes over or there's someone else that comes in, the players really need to step up and start fighting. Graham, what's your take on Motherwell's situation at the moment? Confusing to be honest with you because I don't think they have, I think their squad is good enough that they shouldn't be languishing in eleventh place, but clearly it's not. When they have two Scotland internationals, they have a young promising centre with an Alan Campbell, and yet just can't get anything to go their way. I guess sometimes with the teams at the bottom, it's just a slippery slope. Sometimes when you just can't get wins, it's just there's not enough 
like outstanding quality like from like one player that can save you and it's harder to break a losing run. I mean, I think some people would argue maybe they lost Turnbull, but Turnbull wasn't there for most of last season either. He was injured for sure. most of it. So it's just it's it's a bit perplexing to me like how bad they are because I don't think I think they might have like the sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh best squad something like that in the league, and yet you can't really argue where they've been. They've been hor- horrific so far this season. It's, it just seems up far cry from where they were last in the last mm-hmm. couple of seasons, and very little seems to have changed, which is I do agree the most kind of confusing aspect of it. So. I think something's maybe with Stephen Rob- like Stephen Robinson is just a manager has been there for a while. I don't know what his personality is like as a manager, but sometimes the relationship between the players and the manager, when they've been there for so long these days, just seems to fracture, and that would I would obviously play a part in it. When Stephen Robinson's obviously gone now, yeah, it just maybe that relationship just broke down, and the players are no longer playing for him. That can sometimes be as simple as that as well. Well, they're going to need to turn things around rather quickly if there is going to be any positivity at the end of the season for Motherwell uh, just before we move on quick touch on the championship there were a couple of call-offs due to frozen pitches but both Hearts and Air played and Jamie it was not a good weekend for either of us I'm afraid uh, <laughs> you watched and reported on Hearts 3-1 loss against the Viet Dens while I had to endure another underwhelming performance from Air as they lost 3-2 away at Queen of the South George Galloway would have been buzzing with it I'm sure in the stands I mean Jamie you said it on uh, on the night after the match report, but I deserve victory for Dundee, I take it. Yeah, they absolutely played them off the park, especially in the first half. Um, Hearts did eventually wake up and, and grow into the game, and they, they got the goal 10 minutes into the second half, and you sort of thought, like, yeah, right, Dundee were sort of sitting back a bit more, and you were thinking, I and to be fair, Hearts did have their chances in the second half, but ultimately didn't take them, and, um, you know, were punished for a, a very sluggish start to to the game. Um, a lot of similarities to the Dunfermline game, which was Hearts' other league defeat this season. Um, I think in that Dunfermline game, I think it was Kyle Turner, but I might be wrong. Somebody absolutely flattened, uh, I think it was Ollie Lee in the first minute of that Dunfermline game and was was booked for it. And uh, Sean Byrne, um, opening minute of this game, goes and flattens Naismith. So, you know, as, as soon as you see something like that, it was just the exact same. <laughs> they were just, they went in, put a marker down and uh, got in Hearts' face. And once again, it was like Hearts just weren't kind of good enough to pull up their sleeves and um, just do the kind of dirty side of the game because you know, Dundee weren't brilliant, like on the ball, like quality wise. They just kind of wanted it a bit more and showed a bit more energy and just made it difficult for Hearts. And Hearts weren't really willing to do the dirty stuff. Too many, uh, too many players in that Hearts team that weren't kind of uh, willing to pull up the sleeves and and um, kind of do the dirty side of the game. Well, I mean, you said you said in your tweet after the game, it's probably not going to derail Hearts' season, but not exactly the best start to the year that uh, Robin Nielsen would have been hoping for. Right, we are going to quickly move on because we are already over half an hour in, and we're not exactly. I mean, the starters you need to go on with a seventy-minute podcast as per usual, but I mean, it's going to be. You're still going to have a Chelsea that about twenty minutes, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, we'll get to the kind of biggest and best news from down south in the Premier League. I mean, like the Scottish Championship, there was not a full set of fixtures this weekend as Fulham saw their second fixture in a row called off due to a COVID outbreak at the West London Club. However, it's the other team in West London that we're going to be starting with as Chelsea endured a painful 90 minutes at home to Manchester City on Sunday night with an impressive first half showing from uh, last year's runners-up condemning Frank Lampard's side to defeat despite a late consolation goal from Callum Hudson-Odoi. 
Struan, before before I get to Jamie about the biggest issues in this game, how did you view this? Um, I think I might steal uh, Jamie's line here by saying it was men against boys, to be honest. I thought, I did think Chelsea looked good at the start, to be honest. Maybe should have had a penalty, but once once that first City goal went in, it was just, it was just dominance. The second half was absolutely brutal to watch, to be honest. City basically just held on to their lead and then Chelsea kind of nicked one right at the end from nothing, which probably would have hurt City quite a lot as well, I think, to be honest. I think a 3-0 victory over Chelsea would have been massive, but especially when they took off all three of the goal scorers in the game, I think that I think that spoke volumes. And yeah, just, just, a, just a torrid Chelsea performance, to be honest. And I didn't actually think Man City were that good, to be honest. They're still missing oh, no. quite a few key players, but yeah, I thought... They were good for fifteen minutes. Yeah, when when they wanted to, <laughs> and then they, they just they fell off the gas. Yeah, and then and then they just sort of gave up the second half. I'm not saying they were bad. I'm just saying yeah. that you know they only needed to be good for fifteen minutes. That that was job done, and then they just yeah. controlled I think, I think the game. Saw it very professionally. So they set the standards so high that like an average performance for them is still a very very good performance. So well, I think City haven't been like themselves this year. I think this is the best set performance I've seen for a, for a while. Definitely this season, perhaps even longer. Yeah, even perhaps, yeah. perhaps since even before, like when we had crowds. I mean, um, Jimmy's right in that they only threw for fifteen minutes, but for that fifteen minutes, they were just le- like lethal. Like, they've, they've been so impotent in attack in the last few weeks, but they were just they looked so dangerous to have the ten minute forward. I think Kevin De Bruyne and the Fox team in particular was excellent. He's pressing. He's hold up plays, distribution of the ball, like the second goal comes from and holding it up and giving it to the forward and then left. I thought it was it, it's a Sunday that's getting incredibly bored of watching City play. That yesterday I thought they were like excited again and what they were like when Pep first came into the league. No, I'd, I'd back that hundred percent. There was just something that just seemed to click for City this in this game that hasn't been in recent, in recent I, games. And... I wonder if the fact they had five players out and people were kind of doubting them for this one because they had kind of whatever weakest team they had to put out in a while, they kind of felt like they had like an extra kind of mental thing in their heads. So, you know, Michael Jordan, I took that personally when people were kind of rolling us out. Mm. I, I wonder if that like... played. A, I wonder if that had an effect because it, it does in I, football. I think a lot of people are writing City off as well because of their position in the league table. They're not technically in the top two or top three or whatever like that, but they're still very much a contender for the title. They're. I was just gonna say they're the bookies' favourites for the Premier League title. Are they? Well, because I've drawn the last two games against, no offence, bum teams. <laughs> so that's why Liverpool are probably falling off and City have just won against Chelsea. That's the, that's the, the bookies don't necessarily always go with like who they think's going to win. It's just kind of like, they put City first because City yeah. won 3 now yesterday, so people may want fancy. Put yeah, if, if Liverpool no. win tonight, I would imagine <laughs> Liverpool, because, you know, they're not favourites by a lot, yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like Liverpool are like 20 to 1 to win the league. No. That, you know, it's a two, two horse race they've got it as very tight, but they have got Manchester City as favourites, which. Uh, which intrigued me. Thought it was worth mentioning. No, absolutely. Um, but of course, the kind of biggest news coming out of this game uh, was again it's uh, one win in their last seven for Chelsea, and after the match, it was the Athletic that did confirm that Lampard's job is now officially under threat. I mean, I don't know at what point under threat becomes official, but the Chelsea board is supposedly looking to bring in another alternative, and Lampard is really going to have a job against him to convince. Uh, the hierarchy that he is the right man to carry on uh, leading leading the club and, and managing the club. Uh, I don't think it's going to be an imminent uh, departure if there is to be one. I think uh, the FA Cup round, uh, the third round tie against Morecambe is 
just it's not even been considered. I think it kind of comes a lot from Lampard now convincing the board. But Jamie, can we see why that that this is happening and this is coming out at the mo at the current moment in time? Yeah, of course, of course you can. Um, now you look, you you said it yourself in your in your article. Um, you put up some very interesting stats. Um, with reference to, I think it was like points per game and uh, what was the other one, Jack? Win percentage. Win percentages. You know, he was he was bottom and second bottom, and the, the one where he was second bottom, it was only by like a percent or something that he wasn't bottom. Yeah, I think, uh-huh, yeah. So it's it's been very poor. And there's been excuses there, obviously, because things like the transfer embargo last season, that um, a lot of youngsters were playing, obviously. But now that... And everybody knew this was coming. Everybody knew that this season, when Chelsea signed these players, there was going to be nowhere to hide mm. for Frank Lampard because Chelsea's squad on paper is capable of winning the title. <laughs> I think the depth, depth, Maybe. depth wise, it's, it's got Maybe. to be up there, especially in a season with so many different injuries and stuff like that. The rotation that Chelsea have available to them, I think, definitely should be considered. Like you just look at the Chelsea bench at times, and you think Kai Havertz is on the bench, it's absolutely incredible. In fact, no, I mean, like, yeah, players but... like Olivier Giroud, etc., etc. Yeah, before the season, I thought Chelsea's Chelsea's squad was capable of winning the title. I find it very hard to say, to be honest, just now, um, because I think it just sounds absolutely ridiculous. I can't well, say no, it without no, laughing. But with, with, uh, no, in, yeah, in, of course, with hindsight. Thing, yeah. Of, of course, of course. Um, no big problems. Uh, you don't need me to tell you that. And uh, I said that uh, last night, I, I actually said last week that after the Arsenal game, that I thought Frank Lampard would be lucky to to survive it um, when it was 3-0 anyway. And I think, um, you know, look, ultimately, if we, if we scored a penalty, it would have finished 3-2. And I think it it didn't. I think it did probably put a, a little bit of gloss over the the actual performance itself. Um, and it was kind of similar yesterday. Like, City took their foot off the gas completely, never really got out of second gear in the second half. And, you know, ultimately, Chelsea did get that goal back late on. So, you know, is the excuse that Chelsea were a bit better in the second half. Um I suppose it probably is, but uh, there's there's certainly huge problems, and uh, I mean, look after Morecambe produce a, a cup set on uh, on Sunday, then um, I think uh, I think serious questions are going to be asked of uh, Frank Lampard. I think what one one thing that I kind of considered coming into this game is the starting lineup came out, and it was good. It, it was, was good. It, it was <laughs> a good lineup good on paper, too. but for me, looking at it on paper is one thing, and then taking everything into account is another. Because you look at that front three, you had Ziyech on the right, who was returning from injury, Pulisic on the left, and Werner through the middle, where he really should be playing. It's our first choice, isn't it? It's, first choice front on, three. On its day, it's our first choice front three. But I don't think I, I wouldn't have started uh, Werner or Ziyech in this game, personally. I understand yeah. how good Ziyech is and how influential he can be, and obviously it's a benefit to having him in your side. But I think Callum Hudson-Odoi has shown in recent matches just flashes of a starter, flashes of danger that he, he brings coming off the bench. I mean, in the Arsenal game, he was the best player that Chelsea had, and he only played for 45 minutes coming off the bench at half-time. And again, it, he got he got, he got came off the bench last night and scored the goal that Chelsea got. And as for Werner, he just, he's beleaguered, and he's... he's <laughs> Don't say it! Don't I, say it! I'm not saying it. You're, 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 a, you're a bigger believer in this than me. I'm not saying it. He's he's been completely wasted out on the left hand side. He's had to take on the extra responsibility of defending as well. So he's had to run back and sprint back forward on the counter 
to fit Lampard's system, which is just completely firing them into the ground because he's never really had to do that before. He is, at best, just playing slightly off the left of a central striker. He has never once been deployed fully as a winger. So I think through the middle, he if had he been playing through the middle more frequently throughout the season, I feel like he would have made more sense for this game. But when Tammy Abraham and Giroud are scoring goals and have been scoring goals, I would have been happier with one of the, those two starting, considering the form that they're in. But I, I don't know. I mean, did, I mean, I, I think I think it makes sense. But there's going to be a lot of chatter, and there will, and I do agree with you, Jamie. There always was going to be a lot of chatter about Lampard this season. But there's just been a few things that I've seen that I just don't agree with how, how he's been managing situations and managing players and mm-hmm. I, what the Athletic did report on which kind of starts sending the sending the uh, warning bells around is that he seems to be losing a lot of kind of relationships with certain players in the first team and I think the minute you start losing the dressing room is kind of the beginning of the end in a lot of cases you saw it with Mourinho in 2015-16 season uh Things didn't start well. He lost. He kind of butchered relationships, most primarily with uh, Eva Carnero, and now then he gets sacked when the club are sitting in sixteenth. Obviously, it's not the same position now, but considering that they were four four places and three points better off this time last season, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I I could see things going from bad to worse for Lampard quite. Well. I think if you look to that Arsenal game, if Chelsea had won that, they would have moved to second in the table. Mm-hmm. This is a team that I'm, I'm almost a month ago to the day they got to the top of the league, and now they're in eighth. I like me to offer up a, offer up a sh- quite defensive Frank. Because we've been quite quick to pull a trigger on managers and whether it should be sacked. It seems like I might have done it for our title already. Chelsea appointed Lampard last summer with the knowledge that he is not an elite manager, which is already a step. You should. When you step, he had one half decent season at Derby. So when you like appoint a manager like that, you should know that you have to give them time because they are not they are new managers. They haven't proven they can do anything, and they are going to make mistakes. And it seems like Lampard has definitely made mistakes. I think that's completely understandable. I think in hindsight now, I don't know if you can see at the time. I think signing all those players is a mistake because I feel like giving all those new players to a manager who is still learning is something that just kind of it's a bit of a mismatch in identity it's a new manager with established players that you should be in the league with and I don't really think that that was ever going to that would ever work out was opposed to the fact that it's like the youngsters last year Lampard did very well and there were some players you had to sign Werner's, was, Werner was a steal but I'm looking at more I don't feel like they needed to sign uh, Havertz I feel like that was just always available we'll get him I don't feel like Tago Silva was needed because I think it completely struck, makes the young players obsolete. For Kyle Tenori's absence is mind-blowing to me now. He was a promising centre-half. I just think it's a problem at Chelsea. They've always been known as a club that could managed quickly and they've appointed a manager that you can't get rid of quickly because or you shouldn't get rid of quickly because he's a learning manager. He's a rookie manager essentially. Yeah. There's just like there's a whole kind of mismatch in identities and philosophies at the club right now and that's I feel kind of bad for Lampard that he's been played through all the blame. I think the I think the problem is, and I I do agree with a lot of what you said, and I'm not necessarily calling for him to be sacked immediately, but it's the nature of the club at Chelsea, and it seemed like an odd appointment for me at the time, mm-hmm. because why would a club of Chelsea's stature and a club that like Chelsea yeah. who want to push on and win trophies, 
appoint a manager who needs to build. <laughs> and it's all well and good. I did think he would end up managing Chelsea one day, but I didn't think it would have been after one year in management. Top clubs should hire top managers. Yeah, exactly. And if, but if Chelsea hired Lampard, so they should be able to stick by with him, stick by him for longer. Sacking a manager after a year and a half, who you knew was going to be a project, is admitted more more admittance to me that you fucked up the first time. It's pretty Chelsea, though, isn't it? Oh, very Chelsea. Very Chelsea. It's very it's very Chelsea. Isn't it? <laughs> do you think? Do you think there was an element as well of because of the transfer ban? They knew that it potentially could have been a bad season. I mean, it, it didn't actually turn out to be that bad at all. That if a manager such as Lampard was in, the fans wouldn't turn on him if the season was to go pear shaped, especially with you know how good Man City and Liverpool were. It, it, last season it didn't look like Chelsea were going to come anywhere near to the title. It looked like top four was going to be the best. Even the, even though they finished third in Europa League the season prior, it didn't look as if they were going to be able to catch that. And with Sarri. I don't know if Sarri resigned or was sacked. I don't exactly know what the exact reason for that was, but they kind of knew that it would be tough for any manager coming into a situation. And so to bring in somebody like Lampard, who, as Graham said, he had one year in management, a half-decent season at Derby, nothing really massive towards that. The fans wouldn't turn on him. And then now there's no fans in the stadium. It's almost as if, if they're going to sack him, do it when the, the fans can't be there to boo the team. It's just, it's a really strange. It's an odd situation because it's a situation where there are just a lot of contributing factors to a Chelsea manager at the current moment in time, which doesn't seem to be the case a lot of the time with the appointments that Chelsea make. It just seems to be the case of if a manager comes into Chelsea, they either do good or they do bad. The fans like them, the fans don't like them. It go. It's very cutthroat. It's very ruthless the way that Chelsea go about their business, and it has been since Abramovich took over in two thousand and three. But I think just because of the relationship Lampard's got with the fans and his history at the club as a, as a player, I, that it, it is contributing factors. And Stuart, you're right with the, the transfer embargo and everything like that. Lampard basically exceeded expectations last season, in my opinion. I think considering what Chelsea had to deal with, the fact that they couldn't sign players, they had to believe in a lot of young talent. Uh, and it got, it got them into a decent position. I mean, they finished fourth, they got Champions League football. But now I feel like he might be a victim of his own... I, I, I mean, I don't really want to say successes because it wasn't an entirely successful season. I mean, fourth in a cup final isn't bad, but that should, that should, realistically, he would want to build on that now. And now, sitting eighth, knocked out of one cup competition, which, fair enough, it's a Carabao. But I don't know. It's... I can understand why Chelsea have arrived at this junction at the moment, and I think it's going to be a fairly difficult decision to go either way because there's going to be a backlash to Lampard going and there's going to be backlash to Lampard leaving. So I think they're going to have to have a really good plan in place to advance the club forward if they are to get rid of Lampard. I think Graham's spot on with the Kai Havertz point about, you know, he almost didn't need to sign. It almost is like a FIFA career mode, isn't it? You know, we have money this summer and no one else really does with everything that's gone on. We need to take advantage of this market now. There's Kai Havertz. He's a really talented youngster. 72 million, yeah, we'll have him. You know, he's going to be great. Let's let's take him in regardless of whether he actually fits into the system or not. You know, we'll have him. And it's almost as if these players are being signed for the club and not actually the manager themselves. It's it's what I wrote about the Havertz point. I think Lampard... Well, Chelsea signed him, and Lampard hasn't been able to find him his best position, which which is just a problem in itself. And I think because of the system that's been played, I don't know if Havertz will actually have a best position in the four three three. I think Lampard would have to change the system around to be able to accommodate Havertz, and 
I don't think he can. I don't think he can go three at the back to play Havertz in his best position personally. So it's a bit ridiculous having to change an entire team just for one player, isn't it? It is. It is. But it's what might need to happen if Havertz has to be a success at the club. But right, enough about Chelsea. We we always tend to go in too heavily on, on one on one club. Eh? Let's let's go on to a club just briefly because there wasn't a lot of kind of big news coming at the Premier League. That was the kind of biggest game of the weekend, and it kind of brought about the biggest talking point. Um. I do want to touch on Arsenal, though. They picked up their third consecutive win in the league in a four-nil victory over West Brom at the Hawthorns. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to kind of lump the praise onto Arsenal for this game particularly because it's West Brom under Sam Allardyce. With with all due respect, it's big It's not exactly Barcelona under Guardiola, is it? I mean, the vic- But again, the victory against Chelsea seems to have kind of kick-started a. Arsenal and having just a bit more life and a bit more, just a bit more about them this season. I mean, what what do we make of kind of Arsenal's situation right now? I mean, give it a fortnight and they could end up overtaking Chelsea. I think this was always going to happen when this, you know, regardless of the result at Chelsea, I think Arsenal probably would have picked up about four games on the bounce because Brighton is Brighton's an easy win for Arsenal. West Brom's an easy victory for Arsenal. I thought I only watched until Kieran Tierney's first goal and I thought West Brom were absolutely atrocious. I think it's Newcastle next and then they've got Crystal Palace coming up and again they're not exactly great at the moment so I think regardless I think this was always going to sort of be that turning point for Arsenal but it is nice to see the youngsters who are who are doing the business for them but at the same time I wouldn't get too carried away in saying that you know Arsenal are going to be right back up at the top because the signs that we did see against the likes of Burnley etc was quite quite damning for the team and I think they'll need to pull up some bigger results against the teams who are sort of between 6th and 10th. You know, your like, likes of West Ham's and Southampton's and stuff like that if they really want to sort of cement their place and saying, you know, we are, we are still very good at the moment. I mean, it, it's not so much a Bamian, but it's Alex Lacazette that kind of seems to be getting the goals. I mean, that's, what, three consecutive now? Or... I think, yeah, I think he's up to seven in the Premier League at the moment, which... Pretty good for him. And uh, Emil Smith Rowe is really kind of coming to his own in that midfield as kind of more creative and more driven young player, which is well documented. We've kind of said that they've been missing someone like that. Alex uh, Lacazette has the best minutes per goal ratio in the Premier League this year. Is that right? 123 minutes per goal. That's the best in the league. Which is quite funny. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a bit odd, that, isn't it? Like, I, I suppose it kind of just, take, just takes something just a couple of players extra to click a team into life Arsenal's turnaround is I'd put it all down pretty much to uh, Saka and Tierney I think they're the two like they're the that two differences they have been the two best players and they were playing on the, I think this isn't my but Michael Cox made this point they've been playing on the left hand side both of them and all Arsenal's threat came to the left hand side which teams can then attack and kind of nullify so what did they do he put Saka on the right so, the, so it's more spread out and they have to cover more of the pitch areas of the pitch and Arsenal got better Nicholas simple. Pepe yeah. may find himself on the bench now following Saka's good form in the night. On I the bench. It wasn't like he was starting anyway. No. Uh, just before I move on, just a fun, funny situation. Uh, Sam Allardyce has been very keen to change things around at West Brom, but has already said that uh, three transfers at West Brom have escaped from because of Brexit and uh, he uh-huh. to leave. They're linked with Daniel James recently. He, I just found it funny that he voted leave and is now struggling to f- get transfers because of Brexit. That's. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, surely Sam Allardyce is a Brexit. I was going to say. Oh yeah, there's videos of him. I think. 
was it Paddy Power was doing a Q&A with him and I think they said leave or they said leave <laughs> <laughs> and he went on TalkSport and was saying oh there was something about if whoever it was delivers Brexit then he might start voting Conservative and stuff like that <laughs> oh my he's, it's not I, wonder what he voted, I wonder what he voted before Oh, maybe, okay. maybe he's maybe he's getting them relegated on purpose, so there's absolutely no hope of them getting European football. That's maybe uh, that's maybe the master plan all along. Was there ever hope of West Brom getting European football? Well, probably not. Dream, dream big, dream big. They love it. <laughs> they, they were absolutely. Every time I've seen West Brom, they're just meh. Good, good goalkeeper makes some heroic saves. They just put what. what I think, good I think Anfield. At best, it was like six four zero was their formation or something. I think I think Graham, you said you know it wasn't a Sam Allardyce masterclass. It was just completely parking the bus and just not giving any space. And then Sam Johnson pulling out a few wonder saves here and there. And it's the same against Man City. Like they just they just don't really strike me as a team who I think yeah I could I could see them staying in the Premier League. Which I think is, would that be the first time Big Sam's ever been relegated? Potentially the big the big yeah. fish going to the, yeah. the small pond. I don't, does it count as him getting relegated if he leaves the club before then, though? Because oh, he would 100%, would, nah. he would, 100% would... I don't think Billich, like, if, if if Billich was still in charge, I don't think things would have been any different than they are now. I know, I think Sam had four, four games, is it, if I'm correct? Maybe three? But uh, that was a 5-0 defeat to Leeds, a 4-0 defeat to Arsenal. I think they lost 3-0 to Palace in his first game as well, with Livermore sent off, and then... That one-all draw with uh, Liverpool, which is definitely going to be a fluke in the long term. You know, if anything, West Brom just looks very poor. I mean, their only win this season has been against Sheffield United, and <laughs> that's that, not that's, exactly our going. Yeah, I think, I think that says it all. To be, to be perfectly honest, and they have got some half decent, semi-decent players in amongst that team, but they're just woeful. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Uh, just move on with a couple of the other games just quickly. United have gone second and uh, not joint top as many on Twitter are leading us to believe. Joint top. <laughs> what are you are you a joint top backer? Me? I mean Stroon. I, I think the joint top part is absolutely disgraceful. It's, it's embarrassing. It's horrific. <laughs> Stroon, what's your take? Are, are you are you claiming uh, joint my top? My take is, is, is this is a club who for the last seven years have been nowhere near where they want to be and now joint they're, top. They're, they're, within a, they're within a sniff of where they want to be and it's 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 all of a sudden it's it's joint, joint top, top. League. But almost score more goals than you're there. No, I, and it's big, all I, down to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I've said that all along. No, you've um, not. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't believe Man United are on top, nor do I believe Man United are actually in a title race at the moment. I think United Jamie does. I believe Manchester United are in a title race. Fair enough. Of course like, in a title anybody race. who does think they're joint top. Joint top. No, United are currently second in the Premier League. United were once joint top and lost the Premier League on goal difference. So I think that sums it. Anyway, swore though. I think that sums the. The whole situation up, but um, yeah, United are good at the moment. They're not. They're not going to. They're not going to win the, the title. There's absolutely no chance. Liverpool have a better squad and a better manager as do Manchester City at up. the moment. Oh, I'm not. I'm. I'm being realistic. Oh, this is, this is, this is, this is a crazy you, season. Are you being pessimistic, brother? Uh, you, need to enjoy it. you need to live a little. I think what what almost what has been shown right now. You could draw some parallels with Chelsea in that. Two months ago, a month ago, like Solskjaer has had more life than Cat at this point. There's been so many times where you think, yeah, he's going. He, has, he, he genuinely has. There's been so many occasions where it looks like he's going down, but then he pulls the result out of the bag. And I genuinely think that's the players. They want to play for him. He's got them on his side, and they do pull out the big results. And I think the board have noticed that, and they have 
stuck with him until this point. And there are there are good signs coming out of United at the moment. I said I said before Christmas with the run against Leicester Wolves and Aston Villa and there was Everton in the Carabao Cup before then as well. I said United if if they could get, you know, nine points from those games I realise one was a cup game, but if they could if they could basically get like three wins out of those I think it would be good and, and they have gone and done that and won dirty but I think Eric Bay is probably as well one of the main reasons that that's happened but yeah not a title race at the moment because we're only 15 games into the season but the the game against Liverpool at Anfield will be huge fair enough I mean joint top there we go that's where we leave it <laughs> uh, something else I just wanted to raise just before we move on and talk about a couple of uh, bits from around Europe and Spurs beat uh, Leeds 3-0 but there's been, there's been a lot of discussion about Marcelo Bielsa recently and I feel like it's been the one constant amongst this Premier League season is that every week everyone's talking about oh Bielsa and Bielsa's style like, why do we why do we actually think Bielsa's style is being so heavily scrutinised by because, some, because sometimes we're gonna, they're going to get absolutely hammered and get absolutely bullied by teams and some people just think that that's that it's more embarrassing to lose by lots and then and like win flashy, and they prefer the to uh, win ugly or lose ugly, like West Brom at Anfield, which I think is insane. So I was like, you don't care how you do it as long as you win. That's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. But we also and Leeds have been the most exciting team in the league this year. And I mean, if they I, I would be, watch Leeds if, if they were playing, if they're going to beat Newcastle five two and they're going to beat West Brom five 0 you take that, sometimes you're going to get beat 6-2 by Man U in games. And I think he should change a little bit, because so, Man U was obvious that it suited Man U to play Leeds in the way Leeds play. So I would change a little bit, but it doesn't need to like change and go 10 men behind the ball. That's silly. I think what's quite good about Leeds as well is, I, I, this is going to sound quite horrible, but I don't think they actually have that much quality in their team. You know, I don't. I don't think Patrick Bamford is, is a world class striker. Nor do I think any other defenders are exactly solid rocks at the back or anything. The midfield doesn't even consist of midfielders naturally half the time. But they, they're just so impressive the way they attack and the way they can just bring it to any team they want, regardless of the 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 quality in the opposition. You're playing a dangerous game. That. You're playing a dangerous game saying bad against Bamford on an Energy Sport podcast. You know what happened last time. Yeah, you know what happened to my fantasy team without telling. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm actually stuck with Timo Werner in my fantasy team. Huh? Don't remind <laughs> me, because I'm there with you. But not after this week when I'm playing my wild card. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move on, just kind of cover a couple of the points from all over Europe and last year's challenge. Uh, firstly, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, has overtaken Pele's official goal tally of 757. Has two goals. For now. Pele last year. Uh, has taken the 758. How long are we betting before Santos starts contesting this record as well? Two days. Two days. Kelly scored some own goals that I'll count on the record as well. <laughs> he put the bins out and stuck a ball in the back of the net while he was doing it. In a game, in a game of cuppy. Yeah. <laughs> I'd count cuppy goals to be fair. Would, I would, I'd probably count cuppy goals. Well, for me anyway, I'd count cuppy goals. Or not. I'm glad we all call it cuppy as well. I suddenly realised that I really hope. Wait, wait Jamie, what do you uh, call it? Uh-huh. Uh, is that like knockout? Yeah. It's like, it's one, it's like one keeper and then everyone. Maybe maybe when he played Wally as well, he, he included all those hits he got. <laughs> Wally and <laughs> Wally and Cuppy, some very very exciting names we had back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> We're very creative, boundless creativity of the of the youth in Scotland. 
Hey, do, you, do you reckon like Pelly throwing a bit of paper when he was writing one of his books, or if he's got books, I think he's got a book. When he's just got writing, just scribble bits of paper into a waste paper bin and getting them in. He was counting them as well. Maybe if he hit them on the volley. Maybe if he hit them on the volley. Maybe like, that's two points then. That's two goals. <laughs> I think I think it is a bit harsh overall, but I do find it hilarious. Just the just the Pelly sandwich that's going on. It's. I mean, we obviously don't know. It's the thing, I think, Graham, you made the point a couple, or it was either you or Sean made the point a couple of weeks ago, all we know Pelly for now is that goal record that he so blatantly defends. Like, we don't know how, we never got to see him as a player, we never really got to appreciate the fact that he probably was one of the best players of all time, we just know him for this ridiculous claim of having scored nearly 1,400 goals. Despite. I think even for like our parents' generation, it was sort of Pele was missed. I would have missed then because it was what early was it 60s? sixty? I think well, nineteen seventy was the last World Cup that Brazil won and stuff like that, and then right. that was kind of his career tailing out from there. I think it was thirty at that point. Wow! So they they would have missed his best days, but I don't know. It's a fantastic achievement for Ronaldo. Anyway, I think he's is it one one goal and then it's the most of all time in official games. Yeah, it's very close. There. I I love the fact that Messi and Ronaldo, like I think. If you think about the greatest footballer of all time across the globe, most people would say Pele. I think Pele is the automatic response to that. And within the last two weeks, Messi and Ronaldo have both broken one of his records. Would you say? I, I, th- get I think the majority of footballing fans instantly. It's like almost when you think about. You're t- who, this is this is you as a Ronaldo fanboy, just not what the same most folk would say Messi. Most folk would say Messi. Well, I, I I do believe Ronaldo is, but I I, I think if you were to. T- <laughs> It's you've basically got your your four locked in basically. I think who most people would Maradona, Messi, Ronaldo, Pele. You know, maybe get the odd Johan Cruyff here or there, but I think a lot of people would say that. But my point was just basically, it's nice to see that this icon of football, Pele, Messi, and Ronaldo, who probably think a lot more people are now going to consider the greatest of all time, have each broken one of his records in the last um, last two weeks. I think mm-hmm. it was when Messi broke the the individual club one. So I think I think it's just nice to see them to now sort of holding the records for themselves. No, I know. It, it just kind of—it's quite fitting that it's their careers are winding down. I mean, Ronaldo has kind of moved, moved on doing stuff for Juventus. We don't kind of know what his plans are. Messi could be on his way out of Barcelona. It just kind of seems to be like a handing over. Just as we're about to see the last of them, it's it's quite poetic. It's a, a nice way to end a story, isn't it? Uh, just otherwise, what else happened in Europe? Uh, Bayern went behind for the eighth game in a row. Graham, I'm led to believe. Yes, sir. And went into halftime 2-0 down. They then went and scored five in the second half, not conceding any more running out as 5-0 winners against Mainz, returning to the top. Not lost any of those games. Pardon? Not lost any of those eight games they went behind them. Oh, really? No, not lost. One three, yeah, one five and drawn three. Would would the would the phrase mentality monsters come into play at all? Would it might do? It might do. How I mean, have have we seen much? Have we kind of followed Bundesliga much this season? Like, what what have we been kind of viewing from the Bayern perspective? We kind of all a number of us have kind of backed them to go on and potentially repeat European success again this season, a, a coupled alongside another Bundesliga title that kind of seemed to just fall into the lap like apples off a tree. They'll win the league. The other contenders don't have the bottle to beat them in big games, you know. And they probably know that so they're not really. Fire all cylinders, but ultimately, ultimately, it won't matter. Uh, I absolutely and just finally, uh, AC Milan uh, went down to ten men, but still managed to uh, sneak a two 0 win 
against uh, who was it Benevento. Benevento. And went back to top of the uh, Serie A table after City Rebels Inter had overtaken them briefly. Uh, AC Milan have still not lost a game. I think 15 games in, they've won 11 and drawn four, that is. And Inter, I think, have only lost the one. One point in it at the top between AC and Inter, while Juventus are obviously still going to be a massive horse in that race. I mean, should should we should we pay a lot more attention to the Serie A this season? I mean, the title race seems to be a lot more interesting than a number of others, just because there seem to be a number more moving parts than per se in Germany or in Spain. Yeah, there's quite a lot. It's quite a goal heavy league, which is not what you'd associate Italian football with normally. I mean, Inter won six two against Cotroni yesterday, and it's kind of like that league is the most exciting, aren't it? Because Juventus, whereas Bayern look like they're going to win. Uh, and the Prem, well, Prem's exciting too, but Italy seems like a number of teams could win, and Juventus are way off the pace. Probably keep an eye on that if you're if you're just wanting something a wee bit different from the usual nonsense. Is the whole nation's football? That's going to be all from us this week. Thank you very much to everyone for listening to this episode of the Football Roundup. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast feed wherever you get yours, and follow us over on Twitter at ENRG Sport to keep up to date with all of our sports content. Thank you very much to Struan, Graham and Jamie for joining me today. Be sure to check out Energy Extra Time later in the week with Sean and Cameron. Uh, the Fancy Rumble will return, I think, ahead of the uh, next, ahead of Game Week 18, which is the which is the start of a strange couple of weeks, so there'll be a fair bit of, kind of fancy football content coming out for those two game weeks. But until we see you next time, I've been Jack Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.